Have you made an honest review? Jump onto fifthwrist.com and read real takes by real owners about their watches. And of course, get involved and write about what's on your wrist. Fifthwrist.com is your independent space to talk watches. Welcome to the Independent Thinking Show for Fifth Wrist Radio. This is a place dedicated to showcasing the great people doing interesting stuff in the world of horology. My name is Roman, and today I'm joined by my co-host and fellow watch fanatic, Anthony, from Defining Time. Hello, Anthony. How are you going? Mate, I am fantastic. Sunday afternoon, I got a beer. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this one. should be fun. Oh, I think we're going to have a cracker today. So we've got a great episode coming up with a special guest joining us from the UK. Um, now, how to describe him? All right, he's an author. He's a raconteur. He's a great guy and really the only person in my Instagram feed who can do a handstand willingly you know, and not at knife point. Um, so <laughs> with, without further ado, uh, please welcome Ryan Schmidt. Hi, Ryan. Great to have you with us. Hey, guys. I'm going to say good morning because it's uh, early morning on a Sunday here and I got a, a freshly brewed cappuccino. The sun is streaming through the windows and I haven't yet done a handstand today, but I'm delighted that I'm actually on a podcast about watches talking about handstands because that's that's the agenda I've brought to the table. <laughs> all right. Well, I might have to do a rapid 180 on the topics, but that's all right. We can, we, we can go there. Um... Hey, sorry. Sorry, Ryan, did you say you got sunshine in England? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's why I said it. I mean, it's a big deal. To be, to be honest with you, um, England is all about uh, futility and and just feeling robbed so naturally as soon as isolation and lockdown kicked in we have had the most unprecedented consistently beautiful weather and then just as the lockdown is easing I, I can just see things starting to get ropey again and as soon as we're out on the beaches you can be sure it'll be uh, thunder and light but you'll be back to usual you know you'll be back to, you'll know you're, you're back to normal when it's raining in july yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Well, let's do a quick round. So what we do, Orion, is we'll do a quick round of drink checks and wrist checks, and then we'll kind of dive into kind of your story and all the good, yummy stuff. So now you're drinking a coffee. You're nice and wholesome. Anthony, <coughs> what beer have you got? I have a Pure Blonde by Carlton Brewery. So it's, it's, it's my go-to. Got a stack in the fridge. And on my wrist, I'm wearing my trusty... Storva Flieger, uh, which I picked up over in Germany from the manufacturer last year on a nice khaki green NATO strap. So it's, uh, yeah, I like this watch. It's a cool piece. Is that the one you just posted? Did you post? Yeah, you yeah, posted that. Yeah, yeah, I put it today, yeah. With, a, nice. with a special something in the background there. Not sure what that was. <laughs> Some some kind of i love the gentle trolling of you wait till we got a british guy on the show and you put a german watch on love it you know, yeah you know don't mention the war <laughs> my name is schmidt though so hey and you know what i wasn't going to say this but i'm going to say it so my my surname and the the schmidt family and Heinrich family all migrated to australia from uh, from prussia back in the mid 1840s so there were three families that came over and the Schmidts were one of those families. So I'm sure it's bigger than that, but who knows? We could be related. Nice. There you go. It's a small world. But now this is becoming more and more awkward because <laughs> my background is Russian. So I'm not sure <laughs> this is not going to be a watch related podcast. I can tell already. <laughs> now, now let's, let's just back away rapidly. Let's do a French retreat. Um, <laughs> Ryan, what have you got on your wrist today? I'm wearing my, I haven't been wearing this for much of the isolation. I'm wearing my Gégé Lecoult uh, Master Geographic. Um, the one with the sector dial, and I've got my nice blue uh, calf leather strap on it, which kind of just makes it look a little bit more funky. And I have set the secondary time to Sydney time, so I can keep a close eye on the time in your neck of the woods. Oh, that's lovely. Always, always nice to hear. You know, the actual watch complications being used for their actual purpose. That's that's lovely. I'm a bit of a functional functional freak. I like to try and use them. Because I know that these things are redundant, effectively. So I'm tr I'm always trying to overcompensate for how redundant mechanical watches are by pretending that they're useful. 
Oh, I can't wait to talk to you about the mechanical barometer in your book then. Um, no, that's, <laughs> that, no, that's, no, that's brilliant. And just to round things up, so I've got for drink now, usually I tend to have a gin and tonic for these, but it's a tad early. It's only 4.30 in the afternoon. And I'd like to think of myself as somebody who doesn't start drinking gin till at least 4.45. So I've got I've got a I've got I've actually got an apple cider with me, uh, which is a Seven Oaks farmhouse cider from in Victoria. Beautiful cider directly from the orchard, so that's very nice. And on my wrist, I've got a Helios Seaforth Bahama Yellow, sort of go with the summer theme for our guest, which is a lovely watch. I don't know if you guys had much mm. sort of experience with Helios. Never handled one. I've seen quite a few pictures on the gram. Yeah, I haven't. I've sort of played with one or two very briefly. Yeah, yeah. I must confess, I'm a big fan. So it's a Canadian micro brand run by Jason Lim, and Jason's like a loveliest guy. You know, the most passionate guy about watchmaking, all that sort of stuff. And yeah, no, I'm really, really enjoying having having the Helios again. So I've owned this watch actually before, and then I sold it, and then I had to scramble to to get one again. So that's brilliant. Righto. All right. That's enough of that. Let's have a chat. So Ryan, look, our loyal listeners, all three of them, uh, may recognize your name because we have, we, your name has come up before actually from a previous chat Anthony and I had on, I think on my first or second episode with the Fifth Wrist crew, uh, which was really about recommendations for watch books or, you know, literature mm. for yeah. enthusiasts to go into. And my suggestion actually was, is your book as the as the book to have, as the perfect companion. So maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and the book itself. Well, yeah, well, assuming those three people that, that follow you guys are also the three people that bought my book, um, I expect they probably will be familiar with me. You've got two in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so, so that's it. We should, are we even recording? Is this just a, co- a telephone call? <laughs> uh, yeah, hi. I'm, my name is Ryan, and uh, I have a, I've managed to get to a place where I'm controlling and monitoring and managing my addiction to watches quite well. Um, I've had an addiction to horology for some time now, and um, it started about over 10 years now. In fact, it started way before then, but I don't want to go into too much of a rabbit hole. I remember always being quite into watches as a kid, but then I sort of completely abandoned them in my teenage years and didn't even wear a watch for most of my teenage years. And then as I kind of got into my 20s, I started to get into into business and I was doing a lot of business travel uh, in my early 20s. I started to feel like I kind of needed something to wear in the office but also through all the travel I was going in and out of a lot of airports and I found myself just gravitating towards uh, the boutiques and looking at watches and just during that whole period through starting to purchase a couple of you know really really basic watches and uh, and through all of that travel and exposure to those boutiques and then going into cities around the world as well I found myself just kind of always drifting in and, and sniffing out the, the watches. And, you know, visually it was all very exciting and interesting and great fun to try them on. But I started to get, you know, I had this sort of appetite to try and figure out how they worked. Um, and so I spent a long time just sort of kind of pouring over the forums and blogs and started to buy some books as well here and there. Um, and, you know, I found it an incredibly satisfying journey. And then I got to a sort of point where I've, figured out who most of the active brands were and I had a real sense of how the watches worked you know I had quite a broad taste in watches and I just got to a point where I felt like I had this sort of reservoir of knowledge and information that I was capable of putting into a book and I was conscious that I didn't feel like there was a book out there like this and I also didn't feel like watch media was really doing it for me it wasn't really scratching that particular itch in being the sli- slightly more technical, but let's call it accessibly technical mm. watch information. Um, so that, that, that basically gave me the platform to think about writing the book. And that sort of kicked off the journey of, of writing the book, which is called The Wristwatch Handbook, by the way. And it's uh, subtitled A Comprehensive Guide to Mechanical Wristwatches. Mm. And one of the main reasons I tend to recommend your book to people and I and I do it as much uh, whenever these sort of you know whenever people ask me which book to get is I think the tone of the book 
is really pitched at the perfect level, which kind of reflects kind of your own history. You, you're not a watchmaker, you know, you seem very normal <laughs> to be a watchmaker. And shout out to our to the three watchmakers that we usually run this podcast with, who are lovely guys. But you know, the, usually the technical perspective that a watchmaker, a trained watchmaker, brings to writing a book is usually very technically skewed. Whereas what you bring is sort of really an enthusiast passion alongside with a technical understanding, which is a perfect blend. So I, I really want to commend you on that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's one part that that is my communication style. I think I, and I, I think I bring this to the, to the job that I do outside of the watch world as well, which is I think it's probably one of my specialisms is translating complex ideas into slightly not simple language, but just reformatted for a different audience. And um, so I think I kind of deliberately did that, but also I think writing the book at that stage in my development and my sort of arc through watchmaking, it just reflected the way that I had come into watches and I, the journey that I had taken. You know, I, as you say, I didn't go to watchmaking school. Um, I was exposing myself to some pretty dense watchmaking texts, but I was also spending a lot of time just kind of reverse engineering mechanisms and you know not necessarily going through things from a formal technical standpoint but more from a self-exploration so when I describe a lot of watches it's usually based on how I've perceived them as much as it is how I've been told they operate I think there's what what I really like about it is I I purchased the book quite recently actually after talking to Roman but and I've started reading it and you can really um, for someone like myself who, okay, I've got a bit of knowledge. I've, I've spent most of my waking hours researching watches. So I've got a little bit of knowledge there, but certainly not some of the technical stuff that I'd like to have. And I can see how this book, what I'm looking forward to in this book is, you know, I might just get stuck somewhere researching a watch and then go, oh, you know, how does the, the Fusain chain work or something like that? and just be able to to head into the book and have a look and, and see what's been written about it. But I've not, I heard about your book long before I bought it. And one of the questions I wanted to ask was, uh, how does it feel when someone asks someone, what's a good book to read if you're into watches? And almost everyone's response, the wristwatch handbook. Uh, I, I, get a, I get a huge kick out of it. I've got to say, you know, it, it's a, it's a reward and a gratification I get for the the work I put into the book that has just doesn't get it doesn't get old for me I have to say you know the book's been out came out at the end of 2016 and I got quite an early sense that it was going well and you know it, it's it's done it's done well in terms of volume that's for sure my publisher's really happy and I think you know I was a bit of an unknown it was my first book that I wrote um and I felt it was, you know, being being the first book, I was just proud that I'd created something physical anyway. But I, I guess, you know, you're, you're proud of your endeavors, but then you're also sort of looking to see whether, well, okay, objectively, is this thing standing up? And I mean, I felt confident about it because I put, I, I knew I put the, the groundwork in. I knew that I didn't cut any corners. I was, I was obsessive about that. So I kind of, I, I, I felt that I knew that people who bought it would like it. I just didn't think it would just keep going and um you know to be on a podcast a few years later still talking about book i i'm really happy about that and um yeah i just occasionally getting name dropped and um you know seeing it come up in google searches and things like that uh it just it, it just never gets old i feel really really pleased that's brilliant. Uh, that's really, really cool. And I was actually going to ask about pitching the idea of this book to a publishing house, you know, because we hear about the death of publishing and books are dying and, you know, there's, the industry is under strife. Were you were you knocking on a door that was sort of already open or at least, you know, half open? Or, we, or did you have to, you know, batter it in and really work hard to pitch the idea of the book? I liken it to knocking very hard and consistently on a rock solid door and you've got no sense of anyone who's in and then suddenly you realize there's a window open in the side of the building and you slip in you know I was really lucky actually I think uh, because I I think the agents in the agency world they are not they're not they're no longer willing to take risks um, they're honing things down um, so I I must have contacted 70 plus agents no joke wow. um 
and I probably received 30 wow. rejections and, uh, and then everything else was a no response. Um, the, the majority of publishers, so I obviously researched every publisher of any recently published um, watchbook and then, and then looked into contacting them directly. And, you know, 95% of publishers are incredibly clear about, you know, no unsolicited emails from authors. And that's why they have agents. And that's why you need to get yourself an agent. Mm. Um, But there were one or two um, publishers that didn't explicitly say, leave me alone. So I thought, okay, well, I'll also send my proposal to to those guys as well. Um, And, you know, frankly, the, the luck and the timing came in because, you know, yeah, the publishing industry is going through a, you know, a, a, a total transformation, I think, in terms of physical publishing. And, uh, you know, the, it, it's a threat to most businesses, maybe a few a few opportunities here and there. But this particular publishing, it, it, the timing was just perfect. You know, this particular publishing house um, it had a history in um, fashion, antiques, jewelry. Um, one of their... Um, one of their long-term bestsellers is a, is a, I wouldn't call it the hundred percent, the jewelry equivalent of this book, but it's a sort of reference for, for jewelry that has, that has just consistently been popular and it hasn't grown old and it remains very popular. Right. So they had sort of a track history of that kind of content explaining, you know, highly detailed content to a broader audience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the majority of their books were sort of fa- sort of fancy, very visual, visually driven books. Whereas this one was a bit different, and, and and so I think they were interested in trying to re-tap into that. And they also had just um, produced one watch book, so they decided to give it a go, and it w- it was more successful than they expected. So they w- they were literally looking up from from the figures of that book and thinking, right, we need to let's consider what options we have to expand into that area um and at that point my proposal dropped in the inbox and it wasn't competing directly with that book they'd already released you know it felt like fresh ground and also kind of it felt like it was pointing in that sort of more reference book no was that ariel's book yeah correct Uh, yeah so so that was the world's most yeah, expensive so, watches, isn't it? By Ariel Adams, yeah. Yeah, so that 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 is a you know that is an unabashed coffee table book. You know, it's just about let let me flick through the images and let me figure out how much how expensive they are. And but but it was very popular. You know, it, it sold it sold a lot very quickly. And you know, Ariel also had a good platform, I think, to to promote it. So they felt really pleased with how that had gone. And I think they were they they wanted to make sure that they didn't just reproduce something similar that was going to cannibalize off of that. Brilliant. Yeah. So when my proposal came along, it just it just fit, you know, that little space. So you know, I, I I'm of I put a lot of effort into the proposal and making it feel like a great idea, but uh, you know, honestly, I think it was just timing and the luck. Well, serendipity plays a big part, isn't it? Thank goodness it got published. One of my favourite sayings is because you're underselling yourself there, and I think. You know, luck happens when preparation meets opportunity, and I I stand by that. And with you having to go to seventy different publishers to tr- just to try and get a, a look in, you I was going to say before you had dropped the coffee table book, I was going to say one thing, and that was that there are books, and then there are coffee table books, and I can tell you now that your book sits with my 50th anniversary of Ralph Lauren, this beautiful, big, thick book of images from the last 50 years. And it's it's one of those books that even my wife allows to, to be there on the coffee table, which doesn't happen very often. <laughs> That's awesome. But I, I think, I think you've you got to give yourself a bit more credit because this, this book, for, for people that are interested in watches, it, um, it speaks to every part of what is great about researching watches and, and in particularly the way that I've read the first, you know, the first bits just around the way it's written is so easy to understand and, and that's what's so good about it. But the, the, the images are fantastic. The size of the book's perfect. Like it's just, it's not just a little book that you get and, and put in the shelf somewhere and never read. It needs to be displayed and people can look at it and talk about it. You don't have to read the book to pick it up and go, wow, this is, this is really cool. So well, well done. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, the, the, uh, it's funny because I think we've, if you haven't seen the book, you visualize because it's called the wristwatch handbook, you sort of visualize something maybe a bit smaller and like frayed at the edges. Um, 
and and I, I wanted to call it the, the wristwatch handbook because I wanted it to feel like a sort of go-to. Uh, and I also liked the the I liked the way the words bounced off each other. You know, wrist, watch, hand, book. It just felt right. Yeah. So I think people are often surprised when they buy the book and then it comes that how heavy it is, how big it actually is, and 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 how big and attractive the images are on the inside as well. And I mean, I liken it. I I. I wanted to make it like a Trojan horse. Like it's going to find its way into the co- It's going to make it into the coffee table, right? And mo- and a lot of watch books don't get that far. And people are going to open it. And, and even people who don't want to learn about watches are going to be drawn into the imagery. And you can't, and I, and I, I put a lot of effort into, into the text on the captions for all of the images. So you could, in theory, read the book just through the images and still learn about watches. But then the Trojan horse piece is, you know, if you're, if you start to read the text, you're going to start going deeper and learning about watches and it's sort of like a stealth textbook. What, what, <laughs> what I actually was going to say is for those, you know, few who, uh, who haven't read it, who absolutely should. Uh, I think if we speak a little bit about the layout where I think is this book really kicks major goals is the layout is very, very clever where the first part is dedicated to really just unpacking how a watch works. So, you know, strip away all the brands, all the complications from the power source to the gear train to regulation. And then if you go through that, you get a basic understanding as a reader, as a complete Luddite, a neophyte, you, you understand just how a watch works and then you start introducing complications as well and then you finish up on the, you know, the exotic and the crazy and the really interesting and obscure sort of things. And I think it really, as you were saying, it really draws the reader into let's understand sort of you're sort of hand-holding the reader in for the journey and I think that's brilliant. I can't think of another book that sort of does that in a similar way or at least as good. Yeah, I really wanted to, I really wanted to think about the watch as a, I wanted to think of it almost sort of scientifically, you know, or anatomically and kind of break it down and not think about a particular type of watch. Well, obviously the type is mechanical, but I was trying to focus on that, but I wanted to be able to alternate through any, any brand. I didn't want to have any allegiance to anything like that. I always wanted to just think about the watch and just go on, try and come up with a structured journey that kind of set aside uh, the parameters of branding and you know style and price point and yeah and i think that brand agnosticism is is one of the major goals for me because in this sort of luxury watch industry or often you'll get these sort of puff pieces or written by the brands about their own product which you don't which is obviously a very skewed way to discuss things where what you've done is really done this incredible thing of gathering together I think it was 300 images or something from 90 brands and really kind of illustrating using the best watches to illustrate your points, which I think is, is fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Did you have to work with the brands to, to get the imagery or how, how did you don't have to give away your secrets, but just interested to hear, you know, was it easy to get that many great images of, of all those watches? No, I mean, I'm happy to give away my secrets because I think more people should be doing this. Um, Excellent. We'll have secrets. Yeah. Uh, no, I heard so, it here first, Futurist Radio. <laughs> I, I did have to work with the brands um, mostly. So the, the majority of the images came from the brands, um, and that's why the images are so damn good. Yeah. Um, they're, they're really conducive to high quality print. Um, and actually, I think I think some we're used to this level of quality coming up on our phone screens. But it's funny when it when it's just sitting there printed, larger than life. It's it's just glorious. Um, so I, so I wanted again, you know, this the idea of I wanted a coffee table book visually uh, that I then packed with 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 the information. And so it was important for me to get hold of really really good images. And there was just I was going to be in huge trouble if I if I had to take the pictures myself. At that point in time, I was working for Christie's, the auction house, and um, I knew that I had a I could use them as backup. So they had archives of all of the watches that they'd listed before. Um, uh, so, so I knew I had I had some backup if I needed it, especially for rare watches, etc. Um, but yeah, basically, when I'd written, by the time I'd written the book, I I had as I went through the book and I was writing it, I was saying, okay, well, this is the watch that I'm going to need to feature, or it's going to be a watch like this that I'm going to need to feature. So I basically started to put together this enormous spreadsheet of what watch and why. 
um, I needed it and had a little reference uh, number for it. And then I created this like tracking schedule of, right, who, who do I need to contact? Have I contacted them? Um, what's the response been, you know, um, and it's trying to eventually convert it into high quality JPEG sitting in a folder somewhere. Um, and so we, we, yeah, there's 90 plus brands in there. So effectively I had 90 different points of cold calling or sort of introducing myself by email. And if you think about all the different brands that I've got in there, you know, they range from Rolex down to, you know, to, to, to incredibly sort of low production um, indies. So in, in, you know, sometimes I'm talking directly with the watchmaker themselves and saying, hey, by the way, I'm going to feature the watch. Do you mind? Um, or I'm speaking to the wife of the, the guy because she runs social media. Um, or I'm speaking to, um, you know, a, 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 a PR person, a communications person, and then, you know, dealing with the, with the, with the, the swatch groups and the Richemonts, you know, they have a very formulaic structure to how they deal with these sorts of things. Um, and so mm. some, some things were, some watches were incredibly simple. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm writing a book. This is what it's about. This is why I want to include your watch. I'm, I'm sure you'll agree. It's a great idea and it'll only be good, good for your, for you to be featured. Um, and, oh, yep, sounds fantastic. It's exciting. Here's the picture. Good luck. End of story. Uh, you know, others would send it over and, and be a little bit more, um, you know, the, please, please don't do this to the image and, you know, make sure you cite this photographer. Um, others wanted to know a bit more about the book and I gave them a bit more information and then we went ahead. Um, and then others were more of a challenge. And, you know, it took me probably about three months of every single day doing a push wow. in the morning and a push in the evening uh, before and after work uh, to, to just keep the thing going, you know, follow up emails. Um, and yeah, wow. some brands didn't play ball. Um, you know, the Swatch group has a, uh, I, I, the, the Swatch group has a very archaic approach to communications and um, they, they still believe, I think, in a world where they can control the message and 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 that that message is more important and and um, than than I guess any other media, um, and so they're 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 sort of naturally quite skeptical about people coming in from the outside and wanting to um, to 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 talk about their brands. Um, yeah, wow. Which is a real shame because you know you got like you take a brand like Blancpain, they should Blancpain should be bigger than they are today, and I believe that they're not because Swatch Group devotes most of its energies towards you know Omega, um, you know even Breguet I think should should and could be more than it is. Um, uh, so yeah, Swatch Group was hard work. This sort of thing is a conversation we've had on a podcast before about you know how some brands really blossom by being in groups you know, where they get the marketing push from the big conglomerates and other brands really suffer in terms of either their creativity is restricted or the price level at which they're allowed to put out product, you know, or just sort of they're not allowed to express their personality. So so what you say is, is really true. Um, the question sort of I wanted to have was, were there any kind of white whales, you know, any watches that you really, really wanted but just couldn't get in the end or was pretty much everything between the covers I got I got every watch that I needed, and that just made me feel that that writing the book felt great. But writing the book is done in a series of layers and increments. Um, you know, you don't write it end to end. They go, "I finally finished the last chapter." So you kind of just get to the point where layer, 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 and then you realize it's done. Mm. Uh, whereas with you know with an exhaustive list of watches, that was like a much more tangible target that I had to achieve. And you know, some watches. So if I'm talking about a power reserve indicator that has just like a fan form reserve indicator on the dial, there are, you know, 500 watches right now on the market that have that. So I can just pick and choose which ones. I I start with the one I like the look of the most or the one, you know, the one that I would like, I would buy if I, if I could, or if I, Mm. uh, but, but if they say no, I just roll to the next. So there were those, so, you know, it's like a pyramid, like, you know, the, the, the high volume availability watches, you know, the more common features on watches I could go in, I could ask, and if, if I did get a rejection or whatever, I'd just move on and I'd find another one. But as you start to get to the top of the pyramid, you know, 
my it was really important that I exhausted the topic in my chapter. So as you're exhausting the topic, you start to get to that top of the pyramid, and the and the number of watches that represent that comp- complication start thinning out dramatically. And then you find yourself getting to the one and onlys, you know, the only watch to feature this and that in combination in such mm. a way, or the only one to execute it in this way. Um, you know, so, so I think take one example the um, the mechanical depth gauge. So you know the, the the mechanical depth gauge watches there's there's a few some of them do it in a different way you know you've got the really simplistic aquis uh is it the aquis uh, oris um the depth gauge yeah depth with gauge. a little hole with the yeah, with a hole in, Absolute the, in the crystal genius me- mechanism in inverted columns i used to have one of them yeah just a it's just a hole in the crystal that's um that then runs along the the, the circumference of the crystal and it's frosted on the inside, so the water goes into it. And as the water goes into it, when you put water against the frosted surface, it makes it clearer. So you've then got the contrast between clear and frosty, which represents your little marker. And the more the pressure um, coming in from the outside, the more of the water gets forced into that little pipe in the in the crystal. It's just... It's genius, really. Hats off. For the price point they could hit, it's brilliant. That, so, so that that is unique, um, and Oris, uh, you know, Oris are no strangers to uh, working with random people on publicising their brands. So they, they, we had no issues with them. <laughs> on the flip side, you know, um, speaking about a Swatch brand, when you want to talk about one of the most complicated mechanical dive watches, it's the X Fathoms, right? And that thing is rare mm, of and exceptional. And the idea of not being able to have a picture of the X Fathoms in the book, um, where, you know, when it's effectively the top of the pyramid, how disappointing would it be to take the reader mm. on a journey and then say, now the ultimate watch in this category is the X Fathoms? <laughs> Google it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Please, now, now let's go to the ne- next topic. You know, people would be left with, um, it would be really frustrating. So, so Swatch Group were not playing ball. I needed the X Fathoms. And uh, so, so the, but the good news is there's for, you know, over a decade now, there's been such a thing as camera phones and social media and, and forums and the like. So a, oh, a, an right. image of a watch no longer belongs to the brand when it's been taken by someone out in the field, you know? Um, so uh, a, again, as an alternative, you could go to the original photographer of some, you know, shot and yeah, there, there, there were, so there were a few watches that I uh, got the pictures of through yeah going, but there's not a lot of people who have taken a picture of the X Fathoms. I can tell you that. So you had the workaround. Ah, oh, right. Cause, yeah, because one of the questions I had was, because why I really like your book is you really get some very obscure watches. There's a yeah. one of my favourite watches ever made that's in your book is the Thomas Pressure Triple X of Turbion, which is crazy, crazy watch. And you managed to get a picture of it, which I'm sure is, must be an owner's, you know, somebody took a snap. No, I'm glad you mentioned Thomas Pressure because when I was talking about different companies that I dealt with, and you know, in some companies I was talking straight to the watchmaker, I was thinking of Thomas Pressure. Uh, that and actually, the images I got are Thomas Pressure's images. They're they're his marketing images, but they're not, you know, and they're beautiful, beautiful pictures, but they're not kind of sexed up in the way that you know the big conglomerate images are. Um, but the Thomas Pressure, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, his, his we could do a whole podcast episode on his watches, but. I have to say, I had a quite a journey with him um, because he is—he's—he's a, he's a genius, utter genius, um, and he—and—and and the stuff he's doing with watches is—is is just mind melting. And then yeah. here comes along this enthusiast who is not a watchmaker but is attempting to describe things technically <laughs> and i uh, i i got to a, it was funny cuz you know he was he was fine for me to use his images but he also wanted to see what i was saying and i found he he took me to school and it was uh, an amazing experience cuz it was like hey thomas this is what i'm going to be mentioning about your about your watch and he was just like okay that's great um that's not correct uh yeah. and and he he, he basically he, yeah he completely spun spun me out um but you know as a consequence i uh, yeah, i got to um the world famous german diplomacy skills isn't it exactly exactly 
Yeah, I'm glad people like him are covered because I remember when I discovered him probably well, three or four years ago, um, like no one knew what he was doing. And it's like, wow, this, this guy is, I mean, you know, he, he needs, his website was somewhat difficult to try and figure out what was going on there. But I remember messaging him a few times and he got straight back to me and, you know, it was a fantastic experience. But his watches are amazing. Like they, they really are ridiculous. Talk about pieces of art. Talk about mechanical sculpture. You know, I mean, these are things you could just stare at for ages. And the, what I, earlier I mentioned the idea of reverse engineering. So some some of the mechanisms that I talk about in the book, you know, there's no there's no detailed technical diagrams about how they work because that's you know that's the trade secret of that particular business and the the content out there and about the mechanism is in, is just regurgitated from the press release and the press release is often written by a 25 year old who's into luxury doesn't know anything about watchmaking so it's shrouded in mystery you know how does Jean's remontoire de galate work mm. how does a co you know how, how does a multi-axis tourbillon actually work it's in, you you suddenly realize there's nothing there's nothing out there so it's for some um complications i had to just obsessively look at videos and diagrams and even just movement shots and i would trace i would just follow the path of the gear train um and figure out, okay, so that's driving that, that's driving that, and that's going to make that unlock. Ah, okay. And then, so there were these, uh, and the, these were probably the best parts of writing the book with those eureka moments when just through staring at something over and over again, suddenly it clicks and you're like, of course, that is exactly how this works. And that's why it's so effective. Um, and the Thomas, looking at Thomas Pressure's um, tourbillons was one of those moments because you look at the tourbillon, so, it, you know, the, the tourbillons are often presented in a sort of mystery dial kind of way in, in that they're, they're suspended almost, just floating there. And, you know, it, it, for someone mm. who doesn't know watches, you, you just, you're like, I don't know what that is, but that's really pretty. For someone who does know watches, you're like, okay, I know that's the escapement, but how, how on earth is it operating? How is it related to the rest of the watch? Um, and, it, it's amazing because I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it and it's suspended by this tiny little arm. And the moment when you realize that that arm is not just holding the tourbillon, like presenting it out into the middle of this you know, clear um, blank space in the middle of the watch, but within the arm is an axle <laughs> that's turning and is driving the, uh, the escapement. I mean, when I realized that it was like, I had a panic attack <laughs> <laughs> Incredible! Oh god, that's brilliant. But so, and look, so one of the reasons I really love your book. I mean, I'm an unabashed bibliophile, and I, you know, one of my big things to all watch enthusiasts is, you know, I'm really passionate about books about watches and watchmaking, and you know, properly written books because I think there is something about the permanency of information which kind of the modern internet age doesn't really have. And somebody like Thomas Pressure would be a perfect example. There might have been a story written about Thomas on Time Zone or Purist Pro mm. six years ago, seven years ago, even two years ago, and then it disappears in the endless scroll, you know, and you just, because he's a small producer that makes five, ten watches a year, handmade to individual collectors, punters won't really know to even look for him. Whereas I think something like your book really captures that information, you know, between covers, literally. Yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good concept. I agree. I mean, unless unless a small you know unless a small brand that's doing subscription services blows up, you know, you take someone like Jean, they're they're not they're not necessarily going to be recognised and appreciated for as long as they ought to be. Um, mm. The 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 indies or the or the pioneers that make it, it's definitely that combination between how loud the message was conveyed. Uh, as well as the message itself. And I guess a book does give a little bit more permanence. Well, having said that, you know, a book is just as capable of gathering dust on your shelf um, or in a bookstore as, a, as, as something from a forum is. So I still think that the, <laughs> the, the risk is still there. 
But you know what, though? Let, let me add to that because the, you could say the same thing about classic cars where you could have a barn find that is, you know, an old air-cooled 911 or something been sitting there for 30 years full of dust and then someone brings it back to life. And it's a very – there's a certain thing about a book that, that is different to scrolling on your iPad or on your laptop um, that I, I think that's what what uh, Roman was sort of talking about as well, that you eventually mm. someone could pick up, you know, this book from me years, years, you know, in the future, maybe my son or a niece or someone and picks it up and then all of a sudden it, it then ignites a passion for that person that it, it does continue on and hopefully these things don't get stuck in a box and I'm sure some will and some will live on to tell a story in the future. But, you know, there's there's an aspect to, to a book like this that just um, is, is, is infinite uh, if it's in the right hands, that is. And people, enthusiasts that are buying this, they're not going to, they're not going to leave it in a box. Well, hopefully not anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask, so after, after such an in-depth journey, uh, into watches and horology and, and with the knowledge that you've gained, um, where do you now gravitate to? Like, what are your favorite brands or complication or watches? Like, what really just sort of, I mean, you talk about the Thomas Pressure uh, Triple Turbion, but what really sort of stands up out of the out of the realms of mass production and just like, yeah, this is this is cool. Um. I think it's been quite consistent and I think that there's a if you look at if I if if you look at the, so there's two indexes in the back of the book there's a brand index and a technical index if you look at the brand index you start to I think get a sense of um some some brands that I mention more than others and that's because they are doing more uh unique things than other brands um and those i I think those are the brands that for me just do it for me if you know that if they i I love nothing more than a brand that's got different arms and it's pushing in different directions and and trying you know new things and constantly exploring and reinventing itself um that said as well, I do like, you know, Thomas Pressure is not one of those. I don't, I don't mention his brand constantly in the book, but, you know, he does a few incredibly niche, incredibly technical things unbelievably well. So I, I th- for me, I think it's, it's about the complications. It's about complicated watchmaking. And I, say, and I, I use the term complicated in, in slightly different ways because I think that you can deliver a time-only watch with a, you know, a constant force mechanism uh, executed in a spectacular way that that makes the watch incredibly complicated um you know you can even f- finish and decorate a watch uh to the nth degree and make it incredibly complicated and then likewise you can have a watch that has a shed loads of fun- a shed load of functions and actually it's probably the first two examples that I'm drawn to the most is a watch that it knows you know it knows what it's trying to achieve so I'm I'm a little less impressed by a watch that oh it's a, it's a it's a stopwatch but it also you can keep the the calendar date um you know perpetually um and by the way it's also got a minute repeater that that those are impressive but those that's just a sandwich right with with different fillings <laughs> Um, I, I like something that is bespoke. It's like, hey, we 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 needed to make a watch that was going to do this. Adding a you know a complicated calendar function on top of that, you know, I, I think I think the world of complicated watches has moved more in that direction, where it's like, let's achieve a goal in a complicated way, or let's solve a problem in a complicated way, rather than layering it on. Okay, you can do this, but what about this? You know, it's like the old arms race where you had like four or five brands that were okay, fine, you're copying me now with that. Well, what if we put in a minute repeater? Can you, can you keep up with us? I love, you know, I love those grand complications, but Mm. uh, yeah. So I, you know, there are brands like Grubel Forze who are taking their inventions and presenting them in, in, in some of the most unbelievably pristine forms um, there are brands like Richard Meal, and Richard Meal, I think, is a a brand that I'm 
I'm always really happy to throw onto the table, knowing full well that 80% of proper watch guys hate that brand. Um, they hate it for what it stands for. You know, they hate it for the pricing, um, the unabashed pricing, the type of clientele that it typically attracts, you know, the personality of the of the man himself. <laughs> um, but the bottom line is, if you look at the watch as an object, if you look at complications objectively, that brand starts creeping in, you know, and it fills, uh, it, it features quite frequently in a... Um, in, in a particular area of my book, which is around, um, you know, power management um, complications, which for whatever reason, that's kind of mm. my niche. That's, that's my uh, <laughs> fetish, I guess <laughs> you can say. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a safe space. You can, you can tell us. That's right. <laughs> we, we won't judge you. Um, the brand index, I was actually going to uh, mention that when we were talking about kind of that permanency of information in a book rather than online. What I find, one of the things I find really interesting is the book came out in 2016 and there's already brands that have gone extinct since then. So, you know, if I look at something like Braver that you mentioned, uh, you know, which was there mm. in the discussion about barometers that we talked about before, I think your book lasted longer than the brand. <laughs> yeah. But the information about that brand is almost impossible to find. And the stuff they made might only have been made in one or two pieces. And, you know, we might never see those pieces again. But you describing that complication in the detail that you have might inform a next, you know, the next generation watchmaker who will flick through a book and say, hey, that's a cool idea. Oh, Braver did that. I never heard of that company Oh, but I could, but it might springboard them onto thinking in achieving yeah. this complication in a different way. Or there is real kind of value in having that information captured before it sort of disappears into the ether. And Romain Jerome is another one. That's a recent coronavirus yeah. victim that recently folded. And once again, you know, give a little bit of time, that information will disappear. But you captured it in this perfect time capture, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree. I think... Um... Yeah, the, to, to give recognition to the brands that are, regardless of whether they're established, regardless of whether their balance sheet is strong, they've they've gone out and had the balls to create something that no one else has done. Yeah, it, it kind of gives me pleasure to, to, to have them still uh, represented, even though they have since gone. And, you know, if this, there's no doubt that a large number of the, the the 90 brands in here won't be in existence in 15 years, 10 years time. Um, Cause that's life, but uh, they should definitely get the recognition. For sure. And I think what, what I like about what you've just said then is I'm, I'm a big fan of take the brand name away and let's have a look at what this watch is. And you can list off and, and we did this with shop a little while ago on a podcast. When you listen, you know, platinum micro, Rotor, Swan Neck Regulator, Black Polish, Chamfered Edges, Gearshay Dial, like, and it, the list just went on. And if it had Patek or um, a Zona or something on the dial, it'd be worth fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars. But you can pick up these Chopards for twelve, thirteen grand, and you're getting an absolute dynamite. And and just to plug a future podcast that we're going to be doing. We're going to be listing some of these statistics and then talking about the watches and trying to figure out why do people mm. have so much hate for these brands that they're, they're doing stuff that on paper is better than what some of the other ones that people lust over is. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, but I was going to ask, how often do you learn something? And I know your book is extensive and it's really, really deep in detail. But have you have you learned something over the last couple of years and thought, ah, damn it. I wish I'd, I wish I could get that in the book. Um, no, I think for me, it's been about new technology coming out, uh, since the book was released and there's not, there's not been a huge number. So I, I can, I'm keeping track of it and there'll be an, eventually there'll be a re-edition of the, the book and I'll just enhance it with, you know, just sprinkle it. Um, you know, if you exhaust or if you try to and come close to exhausting all of the complications that are out there, um, they, they don't come, new ones don't come around very often, quite frankly. So um, there, there, there have been a few interesting escapement 
that have been released um, and a few other complications, one or two others that have come out. And I've thought, damn, that is, that's gorgeous and, and, and fantastic. And I've learned, I've learned about how it's working and that it, it should be featured in the book, but it came out in 2019. Uh, so, so yeah, I think, I mean, just right off the top of my head, the, um, the Dominique Renault, uh, DR01 that came out, uh, oh, that's mad. That, that escapement is i mean it's insane uh, it's absolutely insane um it's it's such an insane escapement that it dictates what is it dictates it dictates the shape um and execution of what is a pretty ugly uh, timepiece to to tell you the truth but i mean such is the case when you when you revolutionize some kind of industry it forces you to completely break the template um and you know you're presented with something that looks kind of weird as a result um so that 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 escapement is bonkers and 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 deserves a a a big shout and i think that'll get added to the book eventually um i think about the grubel forze uh um differential egalite egalite uh which is combining the two concepts that i mentioned in the book of a differential and uh, a constant force device um ingeniously so as you and you'd expect nothing less from those guys uh you know that it's that uh, a constant force device like a remontoir requires that the mainspring energy gets unlocked right and and the mainspring energy gets unlocked by the gear train that's happening downstream from the remontoir so technically speaking Every time a remontoir is reloading, the energy it takes to unlock the mainspring will give a momentary disruption to that gorgeous constant um, uh, torque. Whereas with the differential de Galate, they they use the differential to 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 power to power with a separate spring a gear train that is unlocking. Uh, the mainspring. So the gear train that actually powers the escapement on that particular watch is truly undisturbed, and you know that that stuff just gets me going. Um, you know, it sounds just, like it. And, and you're talking about <laughs> nth degrees. You know, the watch was already fine. You didn't need the the the, the, the remontoir. Yeah. I love it. Finding problems that are so minute, finding and fixing problems. You know, it's like on the tip of this matchstick, there's a war going on and we're pleased to say we've won the war and and we're just saying, okay, I didn't know anything was happening, but thanks for keeping me updated. (laughs) But isn't that the thing about horology? You're always striving for perfection in a, in a harder and harder and harder environments, you know, shaving off slivers of more and more precision as you go along. But but at least totally. that sounds like there is there there is a second edition, you know, there's more info to put in the second edition. So the question I kind of had was what, sort of what's next on your own horizon? So the wristwatch handbook published in 2016, what are you working on now? You know, what can our listeners expect or look out for? Well, I think eventually there will be a re-edit. I didn't want to, nor do I think we need to, revisit it too frequently so that that that'll come eventually but that's not in the in in the immediate pipeline um for the last since i since i published you know the book the book was published in this kind of window of time in my life where it felt like a great way to spend some of the spare time that i had or no all of the small amount of spare time i had um to produce and then that spare time you know, disappeared uh, because life gets busy. And so, the, you know, the last couple of years, I've more or less resigned myself to accepting that I'm, I'm not, I'm a constant author. You know, mm. I did that. I wrote that book in uh, outside of my day job and my day job is, is more demanding these days. Um, that said, I, th- you know, I have, I have been kind of looking at options in terms of how, how could I produce a book that was as good, but, didn't necessarily require that I, you know, spend about six months of per, you know, full-time time producing. And so I, I think I've got to a point where I've got a couple of ideas and one of them is in a fairly advanced stage of discussion. So I'd like to think that there'll be, 
something that in and still in the watch world the um book that comes out in the next year or two mm, something to look forward to then it'll be a little bit more f yeah it'll be a little bit more focused a little bit more specific exciting you heard it here first yeah <laughs> and then i think there's a there's a follow-up book to my book there's a companion to that that i'll write um i'll write when i retire uh, is the picture on the front the movement is that the el primero Uh, no. So on the front that, no, because look at the very top. You can, Okay. Go to the top of, so that's a micro rotor that you can see up at the top and look at the bridge that, you know, so the, the bridge that uh, at the very top, that star, that is the, um, that is the Roger de Bouy Excalibur. Gorgeous movement. I mean, wow. Just one of my favorite movements, hence it being on the cover. I thought that little, I know the second thing, it got me, but I thought uh, it still must be, but no. Well, it's, well I, I was actually going to ask you about the, the cover. You know, they do say never judge the book by its cover, but I'm definitely judging because the book, you, one of the watches yeah. you've got on there is probably one of my favorite watches from JLC for the last 25 years, which is the, the Geophysic True Second, which is a deadbeat watch from JLC. So I was very happy to see that on the cover. <laughs> such a killer killer watch and actually that that i put that watch on the cover because i decided it was the watch i was going to buy with the proceeds of the book um i didn't end up buying it uh, i mean it's a it's a gorgeous watch gorgeous yeah i ended up getting the master geographic instead mm, yeah and it's it's i'm happy yeah well you did really well <laughs> as well because that's beautiful too all righty now should we so should we start Wrapping up because Ryan's got a day ahead of him and we got to start drinking soon, Anthony. So <laughs> we're going to cut loose. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, let's, let's, uh, we'll, we'll do the favorite review from the Fifth Risk website first and then we'll go into some people to go follow on Instagram. Mm. Um, so, what I had this week was a really interesting one. Uh, it's called A Perfect Single Watch Collection in the Zin 857 UTC. Testaf, um, T E S T A F, uh, and it's written by Thoughts on Watches. So, as it sounds, no dots, no spaces. Thoughts on Watches, and um, it's it's a great read. Really talks about some of the the key aspects of this watch. Um, but I, I wanted to just have a brief chat about the idea <laughs> of the perfect one watch. And what I wanted to sort of talk about was you can really start to see the man behind the watch when his watch is this kind of watch where it kind of does everything. It's got a GMT, it's got a date, it's solid as a rock, literally tegumented steel from Zinn. Um, and, you know, he, he's got in here that the, the pros are that, you know, legibility, um, it's got you know, UTC design creates space for the countdown bezel. Tegumented skill still keeps the watch and bracelet looking good. But then the cons were a, a little bit around the, the aluminium uh, bezel insert could have been a bit tougher. And it, it's such a true point that you've got a watch that's basically unbreakable yet. And there's plenty of things that we can do out there to make bezels a lot stronger. And, uh, you know, they've got an aluminium insert. Um, but... <laughs> But, you know, he's, he's given this watch a rating of 95, uh, which is, you know, that's very high for a watch. Um, but I kind of agree. I, I think this, this could be for someone that's potentially not, not in a suit every day and that can, can dress a little bit more casual to go to work or needs a really tough, robust watch, you could wear this and, and you, you still can wear it with, a, you know, with your, your dressed up Saturday night dinner gear um, if you really wanted to. But what do you think, Roman? It's an interesting watch. I mean, Zinn's one of those brands I've been watching for a little while. Haha, <laughs> watching is a pun in intended. Um, <laughs> no, they look, they're really interesting piece. I, I, I must agree. I must, sorry, I must confess, I don't mind the aluminium bezel. It's kind of, it appeals to me as this kind of this German engineering with a little bit of vulnerability thrown in. Yeah. I kind yeah. of, you know, I kind of like that. So no, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a solid one watch collection. I don't think I'd be able to ever have one watch, but you know, in my collection. But yeah, I could see that as an all-rounder for sure. It's a good mm. review as well. It is. It is good. You, you learn a lot about the watch very quickly um, because he's put it out in three sections with um, legibility, functionality, and durability. 
And I think for obviously for, for him and for a lot of people, those three things are so important. And if a watch can have all of those, then, you know, you're, you're on a good wicket. Um, and, and the fact that their, their temperature, um, you know, the ability for this watch to, to be in ratings of different temperatures from 45 degrees um, minus up to 80 degrees Celsius, and it's, it's going to be okay. That's, uh, that's pretty cool pretty cool yeah the thing's a tank i have to say i I like zen i've always had a bit of a sweet spot for them and i i love the legibility uh of them and that and that sort of durability concept as well yeah very good all right people to go follow on instagram so we'll start with our special guest so ryan who would you like people to go follow on instagram after they're finished listening to the podcast uh i follow a lot of accounts um I th- I think I, these days I find myself um, drawn to the comedy side of horology as as much as I do um, the serious stuff. You know, I think there's some really really good uh, some just professionals out there capturing incredible images. But people know who they are really. Um, but I think uh, I, I like some of the memers, and I, I I would I would like to recommend the account um, Horological Dictionary. Oh, big uh, fan! Yes. Ho- big fan. <laughs> Horological <laughs> really... underscore Dictionary, and that's dictionary spelt D I C K. Um, the, the correct way. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the account is basically uh, yeah. He basically is a dick and uh goes around being a dick and the 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 every other every other post is a um mocked up google uh dictionary entry something to do with watches and then uh and then every other post is some kind of a meme but there's also a lot of um hijinks going on in the stories lots of entertainment so two things one one that's really cool is the fact that in the tagged pictures, a lot of people have tagged this guy when with, they've created a, a watch meme or something like that, which is really cool. But I absolutely love the uh, the profile picture with the the little iPhone watch, the uh, the eggplant, and then a, a, some sort of book. Very good. That's funny. He must be a funny guy. I'll have to have one of the millennials explain to me what all those pictures mean, but but the account is a good one. <laughs> no, it's a beauty. No, it's a great oh, account. Oh, dear. I'll let you go last, Roman, so you can wrap us up. Uh, so mine this week is, uh, is a guy I've been following for quite a while, and it's m.e.bailey, spelt B-I-A-L-Y. And... Um, He's got an amazing collection. I'm a I'm into cigars as well. Uh, so, you know, he's got lots of pictures of cigars, watches, all the kind of good stuff. He's a sharp dressing dude um, who's always in a nice suit. Uh, but beautiful, beautiful pictures of watches uh, and cigars, which uh, which speaks to me. So give him a follow, m.e.bailey, B-I-A-L-Y. Yeah, cool. Um, the person I've got today is Andre Husek, so it's at o dot h u s e k, and this person's beyond amazing. So if you think of your dream collection and multiplied by fifty. Yeah, I've been following that account. That is a banger. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. I mean, anybody who's got profile picture of the Roman Gautier's logical one. Yeah, you know you're in good shape. You know you're in good shape, and then you start scrolling through. Uh, and Andre, um, I've interacted with as well. Lovely, lovely guy. Really knowledgeable. Really passionate. Really passionate about the stuff that I'm interested in, which is kind of independent watchmakers, both high, intermediate, and low end as well. So no, it's an it's an amazing account. So no, definitely worth a follow. Bloody hell. Mm. <laughs> I wasn't following him, but but I am now, and uh, my god! But but I love these accounts. I love these accounts that have got you know a, a Ming that's right next to uh, you know uh, well on top of it. It's it's below the the Viani Halter and Carrie Vudeline and like Roger Smith. Like bloody hell! And it's yeah, and that's kind of why we do these sort of things. That's why I really love this this section. Is mm. you sort of highlight these really amazing people who are just really worth knowing about. So that's that's really good. So we've got some three awesome recommendations there for people to follow. Um, probably good time for Ryan. How do people find you? How do they get in touch if they want to hold your hand or talk to you? <laughs> <laughs> 
actually, not in coronavirus time. Yeah, yeah. Hold, holding my hand is, has become a, a, a very, a very <laughs> rare experience. Collectible, um, collectible. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I think if you, uh, my book's available. <clears throat> I just, I would just Google it. I have, a, I have a website for it as well. And if you just Google wristwatch handbook, um, I'm, I'm on Instagram as well. Um, I think that yeah, if you go through my website or or Instagram, you'll um, you'll be able to contact me directly. Otherwise, I'm, sh- I'm I think the book is still pretty widely available, and we'll link it up as well in the show notes too. Yeah, it, it is. I, I purchased it recently, and I had many different options from many different bookshops all over the world to to buy it. So. That's great. That's no, that's awesome. Alrighty. Well, we might start wrapping up then. Look, thank you to everybody for listening in and joining us for today's episode. And of course, many thanks to Ryan for speaking with us. I think it was a great conversation. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure has been all ours. Good to have a giggle and sort of talk about really, really cool things. Now, and I think, and I just googled your book as we were talking. You know, for our Aussie listeners, it's currently thirty percent off at Booktopia, so you can buy two copies. You know, give one to someone who's, you know, <laughs> give give one to someone who's currently wearing a quartz watch. You know, redeem a soul. You know, save somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and look, and, um, look, and sort of just a word about us at Fifth Wrist Radio. You know, we were set up as a platform by enthusiasts and for enthusiasts. So, you know, if you want to join us, contribute, write reviews, or even come on the podcast, get in touch. Uh, follow Fifth Wrist on Facebook and Instagram or on our website, fifthwrist.com. Like and subscribe, you know all the stuff, and leave us a review. <laughs> It helps to spread the word. It really does. Um, follow me. I'm at Times Roman AU. Anthony's at Defining Time. Uh, and Ryan at Wristwatch Handbook. And sort of just to close us out, I found a really great quote from Ryan's book. This is watch enthusiasm in a nutshell. There is ample science to feed the desire, but desire is the undisputed king over science when it comes to one's appreciation and love of these obsolete marbles we enjoy. I think that's well said. Well said. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, guys. It's been great. Thanks, guys. And to everyone, stay on time. is by the community for the community. We would love you to join the crew via our group chat on Slack. Email us at contact at fifthwrist.com and join the movement.